0: Good evening and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled, and we haven't even started yet, edition of Nice Things. (laughs) Nice Things. The Antidote to Modern Living. And joining me this week we have... I am Richard Duke of Gloucester and plots have I laid. Richard, Duke of Gloucester, eh? I feel, no. I've felt more like Cordor the last couple of weeks. So, <laughs> so um, yes. Um, what mm. plots have you laid?
1: Well, no, I mean, I mean, I think I've probably laid as many as Richard in the play. Because, of course, right. he opens with that wonderful monologue and it's all, Plots have I laid? And you think, oh, what plot? To set my brother against the king. That's it. And then it's all in pro, isn't it? So yeah. it's, he hasn't laid plots. He's a bit shit. Um, but, you know, he's, he's an odd character. I rather like him. Maybe he's referring to his allotment
0: or something like that. I mean, I, I don't I don't really know. Maybe he's laid down his bloody uh, peas for the year. But um mm. before you ask Dear <laughs> Why the change of location? I am intrigued. Um, no, all right, so let's take this let's unpack this as the Americans like to say. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you enjoy that phrase. So why okay. am I sat in front of a roaring fire instead of in front of my nice things uh, yes. in my office? Right. Okay. Yeah. So Friday night at 9 p.m., the man doing my kitchen. <laughs> Brilliant. Off we go. Still doing my kitchen. The it's all these years later. Yes, 40 years later. Um, <laughs> put the put a drill through the gas pipe. <laughs> Oh yes, dear. Yes. <laughs> yes, so this weekend has been Baltic in here, Um yeah. with my knackers uh, sort of retracting into the form of uh, a walnut or a eye cap.
1: Well, You could do you wanna... sumo wrestling then, couldn't you? They, they've got that skill, they can yes. lift them up.
0: Yeah. yeah, isn't that little game where you have the walnut shells and you got to guess which one's got the P under it? <laughs> yeah, anyway, I've been playing that, <laughs> yeah. so... So anyway, it was like, it's just, right, okay, so I've, I've got to stay warm. The gas man's coming on Monday morning at 9am, bright and early. Oh, um, yes. He would have come today, but unfortunately, the reckoning would have been considerable. Ooh. He said, you don't want to know what I'd charge you to come on a Sunday morning. So I said, no, I don't. Come on Monday right. morning then, and I shall freeze.
1: Yes, um,
0: But it's been <laughs> a little bit nostalgic. It's been a bit 1979. This weekend, Mm -hmm. you know, as you would expect, you got you got to make us. We made us own fun then, though. Yeah,
1: that's a strange one though, isn't it? Because I do remember in uh, around about seventy nine, there was always a big thing in our house about putting the gas fire on, and I think it had to drop to a certain ambient temperature of maybe about minus six before we put the gas fire on. One of those gas fires, you know, where you had to stick a match in it after you'd turn the gas on, and the blue thing would go woof. And take off. Terrifying. Absolutely loved that thing. But it had to be freezing before we put the fire on. Do
0: you remember that they had a little thing on the knob? There was one that was miserate. Yes. It was off. And then before one or whatever it was, there was miserate...
1: Mm. And it was the the illustration on ours, if I remember, it wasn't because we had one flame, two flame, three flame, little candle illustrations. But that rate, it looked as though it had just been sketched in pencil. So you could barely see it. But I remember to Mm. get it to uh, fire up, you had to go full whack and then quickly turn it, yeah, turn it down sort of slowly to that rate, And it would often go out because there was so little gas going into it. Oh, aye. It made no impact having it on that In the
0: front room... The parlour, as my nan called it. Mm. You know, the layout of a, a council house in the Northwest is interesting because mm. um, they were, all had very grand names. I remember my first girlfriend coming round and like I was like, oh, just wait in the lobby. I'll be out in a bit. And she was like, she <laughs> stood in this sort of two foot square where we hung coats and put the put the shoes. Mm. Uh, and it was, it was the lobby and she was pissing her pants because she was like, you know, relating fucking... The lobby to be in Arthur Haley's hotel, you know, with with butlerage and stuff. (coughs) So, Minan called that the lobby. The front room was the parlour. The back room was the back kitchen, because it used to be the back kitchen, until Uh they built on, as everybody did, a lean-to on the back, which, because of soldiers who returned from India in the late 19th century, everyone called a veranda.
1: Mm, yes.
0: So you had all these grand words in usage, you know. It's it's like that place, that working men's club in Burnley that consumes virtually the entire supply of
1: Benedictine. Benedictine, yes. And that's due to returning soldiers, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lovely drink, Benedictine. Oh, I do like that. Yes, I know oh. you do, dear. Oh, that's nice stuff. No, I remember. Yeah, my my granddad's house just near Penny Lane. So um, originally a, a two up two down, um, but then it sort of became a three up two down because they had uh, one of the bathrooms con- uh, one of the bedrooms converted into being a bathroom, um, yeah. and then this tiny, basically like an airing cupboard, was apparently the other bedroom. But it really it was big enough for a bed, and that was it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do remember. Sort of the hallway seemed incredibly tall because it was a tall house, yeah. but with bugger all depth to it at all. Um, and then in his case, he had the living room, which was quite big, and then you had the back room that led straight into the kitchen and out to, out to the privy. But um, the front room. Which would have been—you would have thought—the main living room was just where he grew tomatoes, just (laughs) masses of tomato plants everywhere. You walked in, and it was really like a frigging jungle. It it was amazing and quite hot. Still smell it? Well, I absolutely can. Yeah. So you'd walk in, and it was just vines everywhere throughout the year as he cultivated tomatoes. It was amazing, and then, uh, and the rest of the house was. Hadn't changed, really, since just after the war, which was when I think it was last done up, complete with clocks on the wall ticking away and the proper yeah. GPO phone. But, uh, yeah, the living room was just packed with tomato plants. I think they were tomato plants. Thinking well, back, yeah, I, he
0: could have been a trailblazer.
1: It could well have been. I mean, Couldn't thinking he? back now, don't know what tomato I mean, plants looked like when I was that age. From,
0: what he brought back from India.
1: Well, absolutely, So yes. what was that line, then? Well, I, I mean, it could have been, yeah, it could have been anything. I didn't know what tomato plants looked like. Well, Make sure you're not the they? police. No, not then. No, so um, I remember
0: hearing uh, Hells Angels blokes telling me about you know, skidding up in pubs mm. in the 60s and 70s, they'd just, they'd just be sat smoking joints and because no one knew what weed smelled like. Well, they might they probably did around Soho, yeah, uh, but they certainly didn't know what it smelled like in pubs around Widnes. Mm. And so, there'd be coppers coming in, you know, into the pub and going, Oh, now then, what's the smoking there? You've been abroad. They've got cheap fags brought them back from their holidays. But returning to the... So the reason for the veranda was because a modern innovation was that the the council houses of the 30s didn't have toilets down the yard. Mm. They were still outside, but they were attached to the house. Mm. They were kind of like a brick affair with a concrete roof. So if you built a lean-to, it joined that little toilet building to the house. Yeah, so that was the objective. So you didn't have to sort of pad outside for... I mean, <laughs> I won't name him, I shouldn't name him. But um, Joan Meadows over the road, she used to say that the fella over the back from her, every Sunday morning, he'd get up, stand on his back doorstep, you know, stretching with his arms in the air mm-hmm. and just, you know, lash out the old man and just piss off the back step. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I love about it is the arms in the air, you know. Yes. Raised in valediction. Yes. Literally valediction. Um <laughs> But when you mentioned tomato plants, yeah. they seemed to be a thing in the 70s. My granddad, I remember he took all the, he converted the shed in the backyard into a greenhouse because obviously my nan wasn't going to let him convert the parlour into a bloody, you know, uh, was it, Spalding bulb. They're all around Lincolnshire, aren't they? The places that's, that create flowers and seeds. And yeah, stuff. they are. That's right. So he couldn't convert the parlour, obviously, mm. like your granddad. So he converted his shed into a greenhouse. And I remember the smell. The mm. smell of those tomato plants. And it's a proper 70s thing, isn't it, tomato plants? I oh, remember the, the benches he'd obviously brought out of Vulcan where he used to weld locomotives, and they'd always be dusty. And for some reason, I was a boy, you know, mm. I, I would I would lick
1: the dust <laughs> on this, these tables, and it would instantly dry back to dust. Right. Why, why, why are you licking dust? Don't know. Hungry. Saying that... No, saying I was a boy is not an excuse for this one. Right? I, know,
0: I know, I know. I seem to sort of, you know, sort of add that caveat in the hope that
1: other men who were boys at the time will say, oh, yes, I used to lick dust off See, that's the natural death. thing for me to do right now, isn't yeah. it? The natural thing for me to do is say, oh, yeah. well, you know what? I used to. And I've just had a quick thing. And I can't think of anything like that.
0: Mm. Nothing. Yeah. Don't I, I don't understand I still don't understand why I thought, right, that's dusty. It's outdoors. It's been in a bloody locomotive shed for 30 years.
1: I shall lick it. Is it? Is it to do with... I can I taste it now. Oh, well, I have no doubt. It's probably still on your tongue. <laughs> but I, I don't know. Is it to do with... I, there, there is something beautiful about that smell, isn't there, of the old mm. locomotives and that sort of thing. My, uh, my dad, uh, who, of course, retired to become a tram driver, which uh, now he lives his best life driving ancient trams about. Brilliant. Um. They've got this uh, big warehouse full of these old vehicles, and one of them is uh, the Tower Wagon. And I bloody love the Tower Wagon. The Tower Wagon is basically this massive lorry, and on the back you've got a platform that can raise up. And they used to drive it around, and it's what they used to use to fix the tram wires. Um, and it makes it makes it's a noise like doors slamming in hell when they started up. And it's got a crank handle, uh, which we've had to use a few times. So I remember sitting in it once, and there was a box between the driver and the passenger seat. And I didn't know what that was, so I leant forward. "Oh, what's that, curiously, and touched it, um, and got a very severe burn on those two fingers. Oh, wow. um, and then I was just told, oh, don't touch that, it's hot. And my mum said, Keith, what is it? What is it? And he went, well, I don't know, it's the hot thing. Um he has no idea what it does. I still don't think he knows what it does, but it's the hot thing so we don't touch the hot thing um no. but then then he had to think and next thing I know we were we were roasting chestnuts on it uh, which is rather jolly um so yeah. but that the smell of those of that old machinery is oh it's beautiful that smell but then yeah. my dad weren't we saying to each other the other week about um records of uh, locomotive sounds hmm yeah, and uh, just remembered that uh, my dad has got um, similar things. He's got records, but of tram sounds, just recorded up and down the UK. Of just, and they're so they're so less impressive than uh, listening to steam engines, aren't they? The sound of a tram. Yeah. There's nothing there really. Um you know, it's the but... bell
0: and everything. It's like when you go to Amsterdam, isn't it? There used to be. Mm. A, I can't think. I think it was called Cafe Schuim. I, mm. I can't do that. You know, the Dutch have that way of saying. Yeah. But yeah. it's not like the Germans say it. And it's not like we say it. So if you try and say it, they take the piss out of you. Mm. Right, because it's like, ha, <laughs> ha, You know, yeah. laughs, in, laughs in Dutch. Mm. Um, so Café Schwimm, we used to go to. And we used to call it Death Corner. Because there would be, like, people walking, people on bikes, trams, cars. Just all at this crossroad, just firing past each other. And there'd be, like, beautiful sort of like you know how you get them in Holland in in amsterdam these beautiful girls on push bikes
1: Mm.
0: and there would be beautiful like young women cycling past on their mobile phone in one hand like holding the phone smoking a spliff with the other Mm. and just cycling no-handed and and you'd be sat there like you know having a a sort of glass of slow gin or something Mm -hmm. um you'd be sat there enjoying yourself and and you'd Marvelous, these girls completely nonchalant just went through the centre of trams, buses, cars, people. It's just the people over there are just they're so laid back. They're so laid back. Maybe that's I wonder... where your granddad got his seeds from.
1: Well, maybe it was there actually. Yeah, he did travel. Uh, okay, we traveled during the war, but never really talked about it. Most people didn't do that through trauma. Maybe did. Did he in his uh, case.
0: liberate Amsterdam?
1: Well, he probably <laughs> spent some time there, wouldn't surprise me, before being invalided out, as he claimed. Mm. But um, I wonder, is that noise, is the—is that uh, sound that you can't quite manage? Now, is that the same... You know, when Joe Gladwin talks, oh, aye. is it the same as that? Well, that's a
0: weird one, isn't it? Because that's that's more an impediment. And it seems to be one that's sort of... Specific to the North. Specific to the North, because it was always, uh, you know... Uh, oh, oh right then he rye. that's it yeah i I used to go to school with a kid who spoke like that Mm. to be honest with you and i don't want to take the i'm afraid i may have had the occasional joke at his expense at school something to do with going into a shop and asking for a packet of rolos and then saying (laughs) oh oh, fuck it give me some polos you know (laughs) uh but yeah rolos i don't Mm. know i don't know um, yeah. There used to be a theory my mum used to say, I don't know, it's funny when you're a kid, what your parents say, it's like, oh, that's, that's right, that. I found yes. out loads of these things are wrong as I've gone through life. Mm. Loads of them, you know, uh, obviously. Mm. <laughs> um, but one was that people who couldn't pronounce the letter R, it's mm. associated with great intelligence. Now, this was based upon Brian Walden, I think. Right. But I think the one that blows that out of the water is Jonathan Ross, unless he is very intelligent.
1: Well, unless maybe he is. I know his brother isn't. Who um, no. Who no. no. no, no, no you done I, bloody well, though. So going yeah. back to
0: the, I think we've st- somehow strayed off topic here.
1: Yeah, well, what was Tomato the Tomato plants. Tomato oh, plants, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tram
0: sounds. Yeah, they call mm. trams shuglies up in Scotland.
1: Mm. Yeah. I think that's With, the
0: sound they make. Yeah,
1: it is. That's, well, not now, of course. Now you've got these smooth... Smooth things. The oh, they? they're boring, aren't they? boring are not they they are so boring now. Yeah, Same Manchester as Manchester's stuff. got them. Yeah. Um, and for a while, I mean, but we're lucky at here, really, because there is a tram line, um, one which my uh, my dad drives, which is around Birkenhead. And it's just specifically for um, old 1940s trams. Nice. So, uh, oh, that's, that's lovely, though. That. Um, so the sound of them, excuse me a moment, I'm just removing an animal. Um, Cats. There you go. Yes. Um, so the, the sound of those trams, though, as he as he drives around Birkenhead and there are always plans to extend the line, but they haven't got round to it yet. Um, to your front door. Basically, yeah, Is Wouldn't what that, you'd like. I would love that. And I could just get the tram, get the tram from here to the ferry terminal where it actually stops, hop on the ferry, cross the river. I'd prefer that, seeing as it took me three hours to get to, to do a 13 mile journey this week oh, via train, modern dear. train. Yeah.
0: Dear, and then you have to suffer the sort of sight of sloth once
1: you're on there. Now, here's the thing, isn't it? Go on. Let's well, enjoy this. Let's enjoy we'll it. settled. I, okay, now right. I say I say plots have I laid and that I haven't really, but we both know that's not the case. Because I do seem to be plagued by some recurring people on public transport. Um, and it doesn't matter. If I alter my journey, these Aha. people, are, they're still on the train. I don't understand that. I, there's, there's the bloke I've told you about who dresses in a not dissimilar way to me. Yes. Don't know what's going on there, but naturally I've decided many things about him. Probably complete, well, they're all completely wrong because they're entirely in my head. But yes. he's on the list. Um, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then there was the boy who I, is it, is it illegal to take photographs of people unknowingly?
0: Well, in case it is, let's say you didn't take photographs and send them to me.
1: I didn't take a photograph of this boy and send them to you. So that's a good job. Oh, but what on earth is, was going on there? I have no idea what that... Everything... Oh, everything well, annoyed loved- me.
0: What I loved about it is how outraged you were that he had the temerity to be on your train. I was first furious. Of all, yes. First of all, that was uh, that, that just amuses me because it's like, it's a train, people
1: get on them. No. Not the point. No, not the point.
0: No. Then the second aspect was your disapproval of his dress, the way he, dro- uh, the way he was
1: dressed. No effort. No, no. effort whatsoever. I'm not no, saying he should have been in a full dress suit, but some effort, for God's sake, if you're going out in public. The... The greasy nature of his hair. Yes, that that offended me. And I the fact stuck that he's eating Duck down! his fe- that that was the worst thing? Right, crisps the first time, but then do you remember I had to inform you on him again? sounding a little bit. <laughs> ah! <laughs> but because he sat there eating a chalk dip, I didn't even know you could still get chalk no. dips. So that annoyed me because then I'm thinking, has he just got something really old, found it back back of a cupboard, and he's eating a dirty old chalk dip? <laughs> What the hell was that about? I, oh, no. And I know now that I'm going to see him at least once a week and it will ruin my journey, the fact that he's on the train. Ruin it.
0: Absolutely This is awful. so, so amusing to me. This sort of thing sustains me because it's but like... It's perfectly
1: normal. I, I think.
0: I'm trying to think if I care. I bet you I'm do. Out. I don't. I don't care. I don't really care. But then I don't use public transport, do I?
1: Right, there you go, that's why So you don't have to suffer the slings and arrows of a greasy fat bastard Getting on your train and eating a chalk dip If you had no, to put I up don't. with that If you had to put up with that, you'd feel quite different about that That and the bloke who who clearly has tried to sort of copy the style of trousers I wear Oh, he annoys maybe,
0: me Maybe one day he will replace you in your life You know, like one of those um, Hammer House of Horror Where every day you see someone and they're getting a little bit more like you. And then one day it's like they're in the front room. It's like, hello, Paul. Oh, how did you get in here? How did you get in here, Paul?
1: See, it might be something. Yes, it could be something like that. I know he lives around
0: here. Ah, he's getting closer. He is. it's like that Body Snatchers or something like, you know what I mean?
1: Could be something like that, yeah. But anyway, two new people added to the list. There we go. Well, that's a good week for you. Ooh. That's a good week for you. The list ever groweth. It does. I mean, I'm trying to limit it to twenty people, and then as as you know, as I forget about people, or maybe I, I consider their crimes to have lessened on the statute books. This maybe happens. They, maybe they fall. It it happens on occasion. There's a few people. There was a lad called Ian K who was on there for a very long time because when I was eight, seven, or eight, he claimed that his cousin was Michael Jackson, and I. Uh, I said, well, that's bollocks. That's not- I didn't say bollocks. I said, well, that's not true. And he got very, very offended by this. And I wouldn't let it go. I said, it's not true. He is not Michael Jackson is not your cousin, shouting at him in the playground. So he went off and told a teacher that I'd upset him and he was crying, and I got in trouble. And I said to the teacher, No, he's he's lying. He's claiming Michael Jackson is his cousin, and the teacher didn't believe me. He was on the list for what, 30, 35 years? Now. No, it was a youthful silliness. and I. Oh,
0: the odd celebrity lie, we all did them as kids, you know? We all did them as kids, I'm sure, you know? I'm trying I, to can think. Remember, I can remember lying that, you know, my auntie was married to George Michael or something like that. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I mean, we all told these celebrity fibs. I don't know why. I remember once uh, someone saying their uncle had a photocopier and it
1: was just like, this is complete and utter shit. Absolutely not true. Why would you say your uncle had a photocopier? I don't know. Is that just to appear interesting? But my my issue with that would be someone would then say prove it and you'd have to go back and forth to the <coughs> library ten feet at a time to photocopy stuff to try and prove a point. Not worth yes. it. Yes. Not no, worth it at it's all. It's so
0: strange. But kids, you know, I remember when I... Uh, first job I had bloody teaching or whatever. Ugh. And it was Ooh. like, you know, I was on about this. And it's like to the boss, it's like, oh, but, the, you know... The student said this, and all he was saying was, Mike, kids lie. I said, but yeah, but the students, Mike, kids lie. Mm. Uh, kids lie. I was mm. like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they used to, you know, when you'd cover a lesson, they'd say, oh, you know, Mr. Whoever said I could leave at three. Oh, all right then. And, and then the rest of the class would pick up on this, and they're like, oh, and I can go at three as well.
1: Yes. Kids lie. Right, that's reminded me of something. I knew this person's name, they'd go on the list. I do remember that exact scenario taking place. A load of bollocks being said to a supply teacher about, I've got to go to this, I've got to go to that. Yeah. I, I had to go to something. I had to go yeah. to an orchestra practice, and I was told to sit down and stop lying. Furious. An Fu-
0: orchestra practice. An
1: orchestra practice. This, again,
0: you are a regular little bo bum as a kid, aren't you? A What? Bob uh, Bo Bob Bo Brummel. Oh um, right. No, no, right. I no, can see you with your hair parted in a velvet suit with sort of like a, a lace collar. Right. Um, like Oliver Reed like when he's a child in the werewolf film, it tasted sweet, mammy. Yeah, you see, you think
1: this, you think this, but there's always reasoning behind it. So say for example, when I was about thirteen, mm-hmm. I had the option the the, poss- the 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 chance to join the school choir. And everyone said, no, you can't do that, can't do that. There's no boys in it. Straight away, I thought, oh, hello. Ah. Immediately, I joined the school choir. I was quite content, quite content with that. I and would that, have been. There you go. And the other time, um, with, with the orchestra, I remember this is the one time that I didn't mind being forced to play the violin, was because um, I was told that I could lead the orchestra on the stage at the Philharmonic Hall. I was eight, in my short pants. And most of the kids in the orchestra were from secondary school and I trotted on and took a bow in front of the audience at the Philharmonic. Um, of course I'm gonna do that. Absolutely. Of course.
0: And you're in the velveteen suit, I can
1: imagine. Sat, uh, just, you know, short trousers and school tie. I should have. See been the very in the fact
0: world. that your school had a bloody choir, you know, our school they just sort of hit us. And they enjoy the chorus of whelps and shrieks. Yeah,
1: the, the rhythm of the ruler against yes. the buttocks.
0: Yeah, Yes, that's right. Old Lawton, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, was, um, I was talking to someone about this the other day, and the bit that I remind... i I'd I, not forgotten about how can one forget, but yeah. the bit that was sort of like... So every day you got the strap, which mm. was like... It, they must have manufactured these things because mm. they look like a length of... You know, he always just cut his old belt up. Bloody mm. big belt, but they just cut... And it would, but but it had the V bit, you know, the end of a belt at each end, mm. right? And on on the one that uh, owed Mister had, the stitching was coming away at one end, and you could see the iron rod going through the middle of it. So these things, which look like bits of old belt, they must have had a factory somewhere where they made these bloody things, Good right? God. You know, yeah. and that was the daily, like across the hand, you know, you mm. get that every day, apart from getting the board. I mean. This is not uncommon. This was how it was, right? You know, you tell these stories and people are like, oh, how terrible, you know, as if Mm. you were victimized. No, this was just the world, right? Mm. This was what happened to young lads, especially if they were cheeky little bastards like me. So that that was the daily one, but the Friday one at Assembly... Was when you were caned in front of the school not in the way your granddad did when he harvested his tomatoes obviously oh, no, no. you were caned and the caning in front of the school was bad mm. and by the way you could you could acquire a caning during a set during assembly for talking yeah oh, so yes. you think you've made now the best bit of this mm. the designers of humiliation that these sadists were was that all through the assembly the 25 minutes leading up to your punishment where Mm. there were announcements about Harvest Festivals and you know where bloody Julia Allen got a gold star for playing the violin like you and all this other stuff and everyone was applauding and looking at the nice kids, (laughs) me and all the other shitheads would be lined up (laughs) on on the stage all the way through this right? It wasn't a case of, and now they're here, and you would enter the stage and get your punishment. No, 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 no. You had to stand on the stage by the headmaster and the staff <laughs> awaiting your punishment. So you Ooh. had that humiliation where all the kids were looking at you. You know, and if some kid was looking at you, pulling the tongue out or calling you a wanker or something, and you reacted, who no, no. Who no. Twice no, as no, bad. No. So what I think is the most fiendish aspect of that punishment is lining you up. Mm. The the sort it was like a struggle session in communist China.
1: Yeah, because you can't <laughs> escape, can you? That's the best bit. You 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 literally wouldn't. Yeah, you can't escape at all when no. that's about to happen. Good God! You're but, there.
0: That's happening to you.
1: Oh, yeah. well, I don't like don't like the sound of this at all. I do remember just before I went to secondary school. There was um, an edition of Grange Hill. Oh, this no, this was junior school. This was junior school. This had been
0: um, not abolished by the time we went to uh, secondary school, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't see, the same.
1: You see, we were quite lucky at uh, junior school. Our headmaster was was a lovely, genuinely a lovely bloke who who gave a shit about education. It was an awful no. thing there. Um, no, we had old
0: Mulroy. And uh, old Mulroy was 80 odd. He taught my uncles in the 1930s. And God. he used to have those, you know, those bad blood pressure blokes who've got the big purple heads mm. and those big sort of like boxing gloves, inflated hands, Yeah, you know what I mean? That, that are purple and when they bend them, the knuckles go white. Mm. And when Mulroy's knuckles went white, you cause he punched, he literally punched you. I remember once I was eating me dinner and I'd have been about four or five at the time because we were having a laugh, he came up and punched me in the back, and I nearly passed out with it. You know, full pelt, this big, heavy old bloke. Um, they were just sadists. Mm. So he didn't give a shit about education.
1: No. I did Especially have one... of your
0: mum weren't married.
1: Yeah, I had one teacher who was like that. Genuinely an evil bitch. I mean, there were, there were some sadists, and they were all getting on a bit. Um, my headmaster, like I say, was a lovely bloke, but then uh, somehow they found out that he was gay. Uh, well, he was a bachelor of course. Um, but somebody found out he was gay. And Living with his friend. That sort of thing. And his career was destroyed overnight. And that was the one time I ever saw him lose his shit, um, which was entirely down to me being a cheeky little bo- uh, bugger. Um, when uh, we, we had a thing where we had to carry these big crates. Everyone had put their packed lunchbox in a, in a crate. And then two of us would take one side of the crate each and walk them across the field to where everyone ate. And one day we got there, and the doors were closed because the dinner ladies had forgotten to open them. So I banged on it, no response. Bang, 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 again. And then from inside there was a voice like, what you doing? And so me, and this was the time when there had been lots of strikes and everything, just said, it's the picket line, for some reason. He found out about that. And then suddenly there was uh, an explosion of anger in front of the whole school. And that was the only time I saw the cane. But the cane was whipped out like Zorro and pointed across everyone. And he said, if I could, I'd cane the lot of you. And that was wow. pretty pretty much the last time we saw him. And the next thing I knew, my mum was told in Tesco's that he'd um, had a nervous breakdown. I don't know what that was, but I think it was all down to the fact this poor bugger was gay. And theref- somebody had found out and was like, right, destroy the career. Which is, uh, it's
0: bonkers, isn't it? I mean, it is. It's, it's funny... Uh... Barry again, Barry Cryer. Mm. You know, it, it, him again. He told me a story. He was on about uh, Jimmy Edwards. He was talking about Jimmy Edwards because mm. he'd written a book and he'd done a lot on Jimmy Edwards and he was saying that he was in the theatre with Jimmy Edwards. Mm. Now, I didn't know Jimmy Edwards was gay. I had mm. no idea Jimmy Edwards was gay. Mm. Um, and Barry was telling me that the reason he grew that, you know, that mad walrus fur that he had yeah. was because of the scars on his face from when he was in the RAF in the war and he got shot down. And he had uh, quite... Extensive scarring on his face, so he grew oh, cool. that to cover it. Mm. Um, which is like, all right, fuck me. Okay, so he's a war hero, right? And he's gay, all right, keep going, Barry. So, so he said that they were in some show, and the news of the world had done effectively a, a huge. A large scale version of what happened to your headmaster on him. Right. In, in, in the 70s or 60s or something. Hmm. And they'd found out he was gay and they'd outed him or something like that. And he said, and I, I, you know, I really love this story. And I think it speaks to the character of the people in this country as well. I think it really does. You know, you hear so much crap especially on the internet, especially on fucking Twitter or something. You know, you hear so much crap about how the people in this country are this and that. So Jimmy, he said he was in the dressing room and he was like, Barry, I just can't go on. I, I'm i ruined. I can't go on. And Barry's like, go on. It'll be, be fine. I'll be with you. And, mm. all, and he said, I can't go on. And he's like, so Barry talks him into going. And I think that a few uh, gin and tonics were administered. Yes. And so that night, Jimmy walked on terrified because it's the Sunday night performance or maybe the Sunday after anyway, the news of the world that day had, mm. ha- had done a front page on him. It was like Jimmy Edwards is whatever they said, they're sure they didn't use the word gay. Mm. Um, and Barry said the whole house stood up and applauded him. And I was like that. Ah, yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's the, the way, that's the way people in this country were, you know, I mean, mm. people say, Oh, back then everyone was bigoted and, and they were prejudiced and not my experience. Not my experience growing up. I mean, what happened to your headmaster? I'd say at an institutional level, like Mm. in the press, that was true. Yeah. That was true. There was certainly... uh, But then generally, you find out it's because whoever had sort of destroyed your headmaster or destroyed Jimmy Edwards, whatever, slipping into Barry here, but whoever had done all that, you know, like five years later, you find out, oh, it's because they're gay or whatever, isn't it, you know? Usually something like something, that, yeah. Generally yeah. something like that. But, um, yeah, I had no idea. Mm. I had no idea that he, um, that he was gay. Yeah. And I think, didn't they say that Frank Middle... Is it Middlemass or miss I always get that mixed up. Middlemiss. Yeah. He I can't think the other actor he lived with for, like, 30 years or something like that. But, I mean... They always maintained they were just friends, so... Mm. Who well, knows? Who well, knows? But I- that was the nature of the times, wasn't it? You couldn't... I mean, Dirk Bogard is the classic example, um, who lived with his manager. Yes. And then what fascinates me is on his 50th birthday, he burned every letter, every photograph, every memento of the first 50 years of his life. Everything is gone. Mm. He did a big fire in the garden and destroyed the lot.
1: Yeah. It's amazing, that, isn't it? And But then... We we didn't know about people back then, did we? I mean, if you imagine now, sort no. of trying to live any sort of a private life, Patrick Troughton with his two different families, <laughs> two sets of kids, two wives and all that sort of thing, that would be an impossibility now.
0: But we thought he was like Bardo growing up, didn't we? He was like, oh, he never gave interviews. Yeah, He would never speak <laughs> about himself in an interview. He only wanted to talk about the craft of acting. and, I-
1: Well didn't want to talk about his life. Oh no, no absolutely not. Um but all of the it's amazing when you read about these people sort of how many of them you know like were gay or something like that. Bernard mm. Archard is one I've uh, recently discovered. I didn't discovered. know that. Bernard Archard was uh, was gay. Um throughout his life and quite open about it as well. And wonderful actor. You watch him at The Pyramids of Mars and oh, and then aye. you read that and you and you know what it has no impact whatsoever of course no. because you just go well it's just Bernard I think the majority of people think
0: that way. What the hell does it matter? It's yeah. never mattered. No. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, not at all. I suppose now there's a, there's a fascination of finding out that person back then wasn't who we thought. Like with John Limage, of course, when the whole thing of him and Hattie and their relationship came hmm. out. And suddenly, you know, oh. At the time, it would have just been two people divorcing. It's later that people like to, you know, scandal.
0: I uh, think that that made scandal. me like him a whole lot more. Mm. When I sort of realised, when we heard all that in those, um, was it Reputations the document well whatever it was. I think it was, that, yeah. That first spoke about John Lemez and how, God almighty, I can't imagine the pain that that must have caused when he was sleeping up in the attic while she's you know, he's downstairs banging the, the used car salesman from Dagenham or whatever. Yeah. You know, and then he goes on. This is your life. That clip where he's holding her hand and it's your wonderful wife and mother, and you're like, wow. And
1: that was just as all that was occurring, wasn't it? At that yeah, moment, when everything's right. falling to bit, this yeah. is your life. And
0: but it speaks to his belonging in a previous age where he was more chivalric. Yes. Anyway, it, you know, that was still his wife and she was still a lady. Yes. And and that was his whole character. It wasn't an affectation. I no. know that the that Croft and Perry lovely they they incorporated that into the character mm. of Wilson. But that was what he was like.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Just a remarkable a remarkable man but that that whole thing of, of privacy. And I I remember Oh that's
0: another thing you're quite right. Yeah. Mm. It was that sort of Wildier notion wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, of you don't wash your dirty linen in public.
1: No, absolutely. Um, and of course, there was a, a big scandal uh, on one of my faves on Blue Peter with a presenter called Michael Sundin, um, who was hired. I think he replaced Peter Duncan around 83 or so. Um, and it's it, well, he wasn't there for long, maybe six months or so. Um, and he was out. at again, news of the world as being somebody oh, okay. who danced in a gay club. <laughs> um, and that was the story Dance in a gay club We got photos of him dancing in a gay club And the next thing you knew he was off Blue Peter And that caused terrible problems Because of course then everyone thinks Sacking him because he's gay And Biddy Baxter's gone on the record since And gone. he just wasn't very good And we were going mm. to let him go And yeah. when you watch him he's not But of course now the assumption is that that's the reason um, But then we are talking about um, you know, A, a programme which Now what was it? There was a situation on Blue Peter with was it somebody got pregnant and, and it wasn't... Uh, Janet Ellis. Janet Ellis got pregnant and then her contract wasn't renewed uh, because mm. she wasn't married. And there's always been this thing about, ah, is that the reason, an unmarried mother? Um, right. So she wasn't, she wasn't allowed to continue. I've never been quite sure of what the truth was there. But no, I mean, large, by and large, people don't give a toss, really, with that sort of thing. No. The papers I remember do. my mum going on about
0: Carol Drinkwater and Christopher Timothy... Mm. having an affair in all creatures so that was obviously another tabloid scandal yes Oh, and he's got six children and all this stuff i I love how people get outraged about that but i mean max wall having an affair i think Mm. in the 50s or the 60s i can't remember which they destroyed his career Mm. they destroyed him it's weird isn't it to think about that that having an affair because i mean now we've got a prime minister who? Well, that's what he does. He has affairs. He does this. He does that. And we, he's we, like,
1: we don't know how many children he's got. No. Nope, so, no. Nope. No. Nope, not a clue. But yeah, but Max I mean, Wall, chapter, you're right
0: Chapter three, I think it is, of Max Wall's autobiography, "The Fool on the Hill." I can't remember which chapter, but one of them, uh, it, it, the chapter begins, and then I met my second wife. Mm. Chapter four, and that's it. That's all he says in the book about that whole period. Wow. There's a Parkinson clip. Um, where he's saying about the marriage was dead, it, the relationship was dead, and he's doing all this sort of mm. thing, you know. Um, but it it necessity being the mother of invention, he reinvents himself as this thing, yeah, doesn't he? Remarkable thing. Professor, what is it, Professor Spotnik. Yes, he does that.
1: The war, which is
0: which is classic European clowning. And which mm. there's clips of him doing it in German on YouTube, yeah, you know, um, but then he comes back doing Godot with Leo McKern, yes, which for some unfathomable reason the BBC only filmed Act Two of, mm-hmm. um, and then he he's, he reinvents himself as a serious actor. It's it's sort of like in many ways carves that path that many have tried to emulate, but it it, it is impossible to emulate it without walking through that fire that he walked through for like mm. a decade. I mean, he was the support act on the first Stiff Records tour Blimey. because Danny Baker loved uh, Maxwell so much. Yeah, You'd have Danny getting up in front, <laughs> supporting the sex pistols, I think it was, and the stranglers and things like that. And he's getting up in front of all these kids spitting on him and <laughs> throwing bottles at him and stuff like that. And Danny Baker tells the story. He's like, how did it go, Max? You know, after a particularly bad night. And he says, I didn't just die tonight. Yeah. I died like a louse in the beard of a Russian brothel keeper. <laughs> you know. But he, he's, he used to take apart stand-up while he was doing it. And mm. it's very dangerous what he does. Yeah. He takes it apart. and inv- Because he's got all this Delarte going on in his head. He's got all this carny stuff. He's got all this whole continuum of clowning going on really in his work. He's not a comedian as such. He's a clown in the European tradition. Mm. But one of his best lines I always love is, uh, it's not my fault. I lost my mum and dad when I was eight years old. What a card game that was. <laughs> <laughs> but the pause is, oh. is critical and I don't even do that justice. Watch yeah. it. Apparently when he gave, he played Archie Rice and, mm. and that does exist. I think it's a BBC recording of it. And I've not seen it and I want it so if anybody's watching who can help. Please. Well, t-
1: tell you what you can apparently, see. Apparently, yeah. sorry, just let me finish yeah, the, yeah, last yeah. Line, yeah. the
0: last bit of the anecdote, not my anecdote, whoever was starting with him, she mm. said, when he does that line, you know, you see these eyes, I'm dead behind these eyes, you know, and, and when Olivier does it, it's oh, good. But she then. said when, when Wall did it, it was mm. like...
1: Breathtaking. Yeah. Stunning. Watch him and this is, and they have got every episode of his, and this is a, this is a strange one, when he did his stint in Crossroads.
0: Oh, I, you know what? I remember that.
1: Yeah. Now, he was brought in to basically do a comic relief character, <laughs> And for his first few weeks, there's an awful lot of the, you know, the, the mugging to camera and all that sort of stuff. You get that. And then after a couple of weeks, he just alters his delivery of the lines. Ever so slightly, and he brings in a little element of pathos, and it's referring to his wife. We've we've never seen the cat. Wally, the character's name is. We never see the wife ever, but there's a line about his wife being up there, Uh, and I think it's basically saying up up north because um, because of it being in the Midlands, she's up there. But he delivers it, and you can't be sure if he means she's up in the north or she's up in heaven. And he delivers it, and then he puts a pause at the end. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And then the writers sort of go, "Oh, okay," and they start yeah. creating this character for him, who's a bit of a rogue, but absolutely there's so much depth in the characterization that Wall plays this with. Um, but it, but he hated every second of being yeah. on it. <laughs> because it was the amount of scripts he had to learn all that right. four scripts a week so when he was af- asked afterwards he did this lovely big interview of, about uh, being on there and there's only one line that's ever remembered which is uh, how did you find your time on crossroads horrible just <laughs> horrible but he was referring to the line learning but, of course, when he went right. up there, what he had was he had this huge sort of... Well, it was like a gang show of people to work with. Um, apparently, him and Ronnie Allen got on particularly well. And you know what? There are scenes that they play with each other.
0: Oh, man, I must say.
1: Oh, the scenes of those two together. together—it It's the only time I think Ronnie Allen is not completely in character. If you look, there's a glint like he could go at any minute when he does uh, scenes with Max Wall. But yeah, Max Ward with, with the little roly cigarette and, and he's, he keeps pigeons and all these sort of things, but he chats to the pigeons sometimes. And those are bits that were just recorded on OB. They weren't scripted. And they just let him do 30 seconds chatting to the pigeons. Beautiful absolutely beautiful actor, wonderful well that is another
0: example again like I said about Lemez and Perry and Croft well all those, the symbiosis between actors and performers yeah, that happens, you know what I mean, it's kind of like if you find someone you can work with mm. then it, there's that lovely sort of tug of war goes on isn't there, and there's that that sort of, that, that creation process people don't understand just how bloody good this job is if, if you're with the right people, That's it, and how bloody awful it is if you're not, but <laughs> But this is the sort of thing that I, I love to try to get across to people because when you talk about a detail like that, mm. just a pause. Yeah. Just a pause. You could write, well, I'm certain there are volumes on it about the pause. Mm. And the way it is, I, I always remember, you know, you never, you don't fully remember when you're on stage, do you? No, It doesn't no, no, work no, like no. that. You, you're sort of, I always, the way I describe it is you're on play, not record. Yes. You know, as a machine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there are moments that you do remember. I always feel like I don't know about you, but when I come off stage, I always feel like I've. It's the the only other feeling I can liken it to is getting out of the swimming baths, you know, and you've been swimming for an hour. Yeah, and you want to get straight back in. Mm. Yes, that's how I, that's how I feel when I come off stage. It's like I want to go straight back on.
1: Yeah, no that that does that does ring a bell. Now you're right. There's there's plays that I've done. I I can, I can maybe remember. A moment where where a particular emotion was hit. I'm um, doing doing Leah a few years ago. Um, there was the what, second to last scene. I always remember that with this working with this girl playing Cordelia, and she was a girl. She was only fifteen playing her, but she had this ability to play emotion just through a look so much. And because because I was knackered by that point of the play, absolutely done in to play him as this old bugger wasn't a hardship at all and there's this point where she's all feisty and Leah basically says, no, 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 we'll grow old together in a walled up jail and all these wonderful lines I can remember that can't remember the rest of it, can't remember I know it happened, but I can't remember it I can always remember standing standing in the wings, ready to go on and then you walk on, can't remember it that's it then, and then you finish some hours later and you've done it, but I can't tell you what happens in between, it's weird isn't it it's a bit like recording this it is a bit, isn't it? We can never remember. Yeah. It's why, well, I remember
0: one. Why the episode descriptions
1: moment. never work. Yes, go on.
0: Oh, that's. Yeah, fucking hell. Well, that's because you leave all of that to me, dear. You're very good at it, though, dear. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember being on the stage left mm. uh, at the Bristol Old Vic, and <coughs> I delivered a line, and for some reason I, I'd, I'd looked out, which mm. you never do, but you know the old Vic. It's very bright. You can see the audience. Yes. It's it's an old 18th century job. And I looked out for some reason. Well, you know, you sort of, you look out, but you don't look out. They don't know you're looking at them, but you're looking through them. You know the technique. So I look out and I can see all these faces that are just waiting for me to do something. Yeah. And I played the pause. Mm. And because of the... Theatre being, you know, from the 1780s or whatever it is, Regency Theatre. Mm. And the way it looked and the moment and just everything just came together. Mm. And it will goes through your head. Who stood on this spot in the last, you know, 220, 230 years? Mm. That goes through your head and... Oh, man. And you know how it feels like the fucking the continuum of history is going through you in those moments. And that was just, uh, just I mean, uh, I, I am an actor, folks, so I am going to be dramatic. Oh, yeah. Um, so, But that moment, I can't remember anything about the rest of the, the tour, mm. but I remember that moment, and I remember holding that pause, and I remember the advice during training of, if you think it's too long, keep going. Yep. Because it isn't. Mm. Always double it. But the power that you have in that moment mm. is just, it's its literally, you know, you you train for years, you scrabble your way up, you get to do jobs just for that moment. Absolutely. And it's not just for that. But those moments where it is, again, a symbiosis, a communion, a sort of, you're plugging into the, uh, what is it called, the uh, pre-cosmogonic, forces Mm. yeah you know what i mean
1: yeah it's two things isn't it it's it's partly those moments and it's the other thing is what you're saying when you're working with people who you know have got your back and Mm. i've worked with casts where basically i wanted to just get out of there immediately and i've worked with casts that i absolutely loved um and cast that that harry h interview
0: have you seen the harry h interview that surfaced recently from the late 60s no oh i thought i did send it yeah um where he's talking about the rehearsals that's where it happens and he's mm. like he's got the flag in his hand doesn't he mm. and he's like that's where the real magic is and that's the stuff that we never record and as, as a sort of uh, you know PR for the job
1: Ooh, well absolutely I, and really he's funny. completely right isn't he and I say that when we're working with the young kiddos I always say to them look this is the magic this bit here, yeah, the read
0: through, the first read through,
1: absolutely. Those moments when you're trying things out and suddenly it's like, "Well, if I do that, this will happen." That sort of thing. The the performance is almost the bit that you've got to do, which pay. You know, that's you, all right. I'll pay for for having all the fun bit now by showing people this bit. But the rehearsal's the lovely bit. But when you, if you're working on stage, of course, and you're working with people who you can trust that much, that you can afford oh. to play on stage just a bit. Um, I did Hamlet. Um, over in Dublin again and I was playing Polonius, and just before a scene, I was playing, um, which I had to play against Claudius, and Claudius was played by this chap called Lee, who's about six foot three, and we're waiting in the wings, no we weren't, it's where we shrank back, we're meant to shrink back, and we watch Hamlet and Ophelia, um, basically having a bit of a round, we're meant to just stand back and watch and listen and compare notes, and then we come back into the scene. And we're watching and listening. And we'd always done this thing where we'd look at each other and do a little bit of miming, just just a word or two, and then we'd look back at the action. And one night, Lee looked at me, and then he leant down closer to me, and he just whispered, Listen, I'm going to try something. Don't freak out. And that was it. But because I trusted him, it's like, OK, let's see what he does. And he wound the lines up between us. He got more aggressive delivering them and I thought right okay if we're playing that game dear I'll come back at you so I went more aggressive and it becomes one-upmanship and then he stopped and looked at me and I suddenly thought oh shit yes because he's playing the king isn't he and I'm trying to better him and then he just went wham and grabbed my bollocks on stage and then leant forward and delivered his final line as a whisper and he wasn't squeezing or anything, but he just there was just enough pressure. though, so, oh, he could do that if he wanted. Just that little moment of just oh, this is this is good. This is lovely stuff. Yeah. Which just in that moment, because I knew I could trust him. If I'd have said, "Don't you dare," I'm sure he probably wouldn't. But the fact that you know having someone there who you felt you could just go, yeah, yeah all right, to see what happens. That's lovely. God, that's, that is. That is. Oh. And-
0: When you are that far into a production Mm. and you're sort of like, right, okay, this is great, you know what I mean? And and you've created the entire artifice that you can present every night because your job is to take people out of their minds and their lives for a couple of hours. That's what they pay. I always, my sort of mentality is... You know, the same way that my granddad got paid for welding locomotives mm. or, or you know, your granddad got paid for the trams, whatever it may be. Yeah. You're the you've been paid, they've cat, cat's ass. Just cat's ass. Um, cat's cat attacking ass. the computer, sorry with, though. <laughs> with Jill Gascoigne. Um, <laughs> um You're being paid to do a job and mm. you better do it and you better do it well. And yep. that's that's for me is the top and bottom of it. There's no There's nothing else. I I know that people like to be airy-furry about it and say there's this and there's that and look at me saying pre-gosmogonic and all that stuff. Mm. So yes, I'm the worst, don't get me wrong. Mm. But that is underpinned by a belief that, right, you've got to put a shift in. Those people have paid money and they've gone and earned that money. Mm. So now it's, if they're willing to give you that money, you better give them value. Absolutely. So once you have created that artifice, I think the people who get the real value for money start arriving around about the 20th performance. Mm. And that's when you are allowed to do that stuff. And when you're like, okay, I this is this is now i've got this yeah i know the layout and i know what you're gonna do i can now start because actors start relaxing don't they that's it yeah around about the between 15 and 20 performances yeah and that's when you get them playing with that and that's when you get the spontaneity and that is when you get the genuine humanity coming through Mm. and that's when they're again word of the week symbiosis yes um so yeah, that, they're great moments, they are. I mean, do you know the story Omid Gialli is it Omid Giali, is that how you say his name Yes, correctly? it is, yeah. The story he tells about being in um, Gladiator.
1: No, no, hang on. It? It's uh, Oliver Reed, but I can't his, remember, go
0: on. He grabs his bollocks, that's mm. what reminded me of it. And he grabs onto him and it's like, and the crew, oh, that's break, you know what I mean? And he keeps hold of his bollocks and Omid is just like, he's never... He'd never worked with Oliver Reed before, and he's like, Okay, maybe this is part of it. Maybe this is his method. He stays through the break. And after about 15 minutes of holding, and oh, he says he doesn't hold, he fucking grips him. Mm. You know what I mean? And he's sweating. And uh, after 15 minutes, he crack out Reed cracks up, the whole crew cracked up, and it's like, Sorry, we were having a bet. <laughs> See how long I could do it, me and the crew. And it's just like, <laughs> Fucking hell, man. But he's great in that film. Yeah. He's, 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 it's a good film, that. I know you probably don't like it, but it is actually a good film. I mean, Marcus Aurelius, you know, who Richard Harris, who is gone pretty swiftly within it. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of like an Eye Clavdivs, but but without all the long, ponderous speeches, so it's not oh, like at all it.
1: like it. I like those bits. Was it filmed in TC1? No.
0: No. I think it was filmed in um, in Italy, foreign, Tunisia, and places like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's a genuine joy Mm.
1: of the job. It is. It absolutely Um, is. Oh, it's a lovely thing.
0: Yes. It is. It's. It is a nice thing. Remember, that's why we're here. That's why we're
1: here. That's right. Yeah. It is. It's a very nice thing. And and you're right. But it, you, God, you've got to earn those moments. You've got to earn them. You've got to put that graft in. And that's that's missing. I think sometimes. Now, I think that's missing for all sorts of reasons. I think it's missing because rep has gone. I think it's missing because the old rehearsal system of uh, TV has gone. I think. Well,
0: that's... To be surrounded by somebody, to be in a company of people and working with people who have all had a similar trajectory and, and gone through similar, you know, uh, bonfires and and crisis of confidence mm. and disappointments and all the other shit that you have to, you sort of, it's like, wow. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like you've met at the end of a race. Yeah. It's like, oh, fucking hell, you made it too. Nice. Mm. You know what I mean? So you then have that sort of, that common vocabulary, uh, that lexicon of experience that it's like, I kind of know this person who's next to me, yeah, I've never met them, but I they're like the, the you know we live at and you get talking and you start swapping war stories and it's like yes, yes, yes yes, but you keep the faith and you stick with it, you know, and it's like Lemmy said if you continue to do what you do for long enough, someone will notice you,
1: yes, but Absolutely. It's, a,
0: it's a head job, it's mm-hmm. a head job to get through all those rejections and all those auditions where no one wants you and when you die like a louse and all that other stuff yeah you earn you stood next to somebody and you've earned that place and they have and it's like oh we're here isn't it great yeah
1: oh absolutely and you and you swear friendship forever and then you never see them again
0: but that's part of it (laughs) it's
1: absolutely part of it but then you see them five years later and that it's still there Oh, you just pick up.
0: Hello, love, how's it going? You know what I mean? It's just like, Jesus. you know, it's so strange, you know what I mean? And after half an hour, I'm giving it love and darling and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I love how Tim Spall says, yeah, so what if we call each other love and darling? So what? People don't like us. We've got to love each other. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. Um, And it is, it's a culture shock for me at first with all that love and stuff like that. But mm. I quite like it.
1: You oh, know what I, I mean? I've no problem with it at all. I love that no. sort of thing.
0: Yes. No, it's good. It's just like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Life's ridiculous. Fucking yeah. hell. You it know is. what I mean? You only get one crack at it. Have a bloody laugh.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um You know. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that is a shame, and you may not think this, but I think I think we do have one tradition um that is uh, having another nail in the coffin and that's uh, the wonderful old thing that we don't have anymore of the daytime soap, um, which which we used to have, of course, because we had crossroads and things like that. And I don't know if you've seen this, and you'll be devastated, I'm sure. Uh, breaking news overnight is that Neighbours is being axed.
0: I didn't know they were still making they're it. They're still
1: making it. Of course, they're making it. Oh, terribly upsetting. I think that's a... What, a...
0: you still watch that, do you?
1: No. No, I don't watch right. it. No, but I want to know it's on. I won't watch it because it's on Channel upsets... 5.
0: I'll tell you what upsets me about it. Yeah. The fact that a lot of people won't be earning a living. That's it. That's what upsets me about it. I mean, mm. you know, but I mean, the the TV channels, uh, the theatres um, and, and venues and all these other things, YouTube or whatever, you know, there's an awful lot of things I don't like. It doesn't mean I don't wish it to exist.
1: No, absolutely. I, yeah. I,
0: I think that you're, you know, like what you like. You know, but don't go around the world being a bloody jade and saying that's shit and this is shit. So what? Who cares what you think in that regard? There's like, how many people watch it? Oh. Um, it must be millions. Yeah, millions of people watch it. Do they enjoy it? Good. Allow it. There you stop. Are. Stop being a complete Fun sponge.
1: Right, where do we draw the line? So, for example, here, uh, you say that. that I'm absolutely with you. I'm absolutely with you. What about these um, augmented reality television shows, though?
0: I don't know anything about them. Tell me.
1: Right, where you get things like The Only Way Is Essex, where they just pluck a few people off the streets and then they say, we're going to give you this scenario. Go over there and pretend that you're having an argument. And they create TV that way. Cheap, common, nasty, no. No, not for me. But is it any dissimilar to laughing at the
0: freaks in Victorian society? I mean, it's a freak show, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a freak show. Um, And whereas I would have found it unpleasant to go and point and laugh at the freaks, you know, in Victorian times, well, I might have had a a quick squiz at the Elephant Man, Um, you know, you know, because well, you know, it it ain't it ain't really for me. I don't like that form of television. I don't like any of that stuff. But it's what do they call it?
1: Poverty augmented palms, reality right? television.
0: Oh, oh well, augmented. Is that what you mean by that? I, uh, see, I thought you meant bloody uh, some technology where you put...
1: No, no, it's literally where you get these people and you just pluck them out of nowhere and you say, right, you're in a relationship, so, you know, you've got to hang around with each other for the papers to take photos of. But we want you to have an argument and we'll put that. It's that sort of shit. Oh,
0: no, no, no. Give me a a freezing cold gymnasium on a February morning and a bunch of people clutching you know, dog-eared scripts and cups of coffee, and then right, someone you go. like you waltzing in in a fedora to tell us to what? shout at us for eight hours. Yes. That, that, that'll do me. That's
1: what you need. Now you see my thing. There is that that shouldn't exist. That sort of shit. And I know that you're but saying it does. that. Yeah, but some people will like it. it's destroying the industry. If you fill the if you fill the schedules with that sort of cheap tat. Well, great stuff, so you've filled the schedule, but what about, where's the work for the actors? Where's the drama? The where's the new writing?
0: Is, do you think that... Te- I, I think television's dead, for the most part. I mean, you've got to remember, Paul, things have their day, you know what I mean? Things don't last forever. No, but some things should,
1: and I went, maybe... Well, maybe they
0: should, and I'm sure that, you know, uh, King Tutankhamun... Uh, was would have been very happy to have
1: lived forever and for oh, his sure empire to have, have, have
0: sustained. But things don't. To don't everything is season,
1: Paul. Well, when's James Corden's season over? Because that's gone on a long time.
0: But that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. Do you remember how Amazon carried on for years and they were always making billions of losses every year? Mm. And they kept going and they kept going and they kept going until now they're dominant. Yes, right? But for years, Amazon as um a successful enterprise was not, it didn't exist. Mm. He is not, no one likes him. No. He's not successful. The telly tell you he is.
1: He's mm. got a you lot know. of money though.
0: Well, he might have a lot of money, but so did uh, Paul Jones's character in Peter Watkins Privilege. But no one liked him. He was he was a um he was a creation of the government, wasn't he? He was mm. the in order to entertain the pros and to uh, socially engineer their opinions. And people like Corden are the same thing. And everyone sees through them. You know, I Mm. mean, look at the uh, whole Furore at the minute. Or is it Furore? don't know. Furore sounds like an Irish singer. Hello, good evening. I'm Furore. We're going to have a (laughs) laugh. Um, About Joe Rogan at the minute. Now, Joe Rogan's Mm. average audience reach is per podcast, something like 500 million, Mm. Right. And then the likes of CNN, Fox, and all the other news channels are lucky to get, like, 300,000. Yeah. So you can have people shiny and with perfect teeth in Hollywood and, hey, everything's great, and I'm successful. Mm. No one likes it. No. People are finding their own ways. In the same way that a, a small stream carved the mighty Grand Canyon, um, things have a habit... Of finding their own route. And all this rubbish, you know, do you know anyone who likes The Only Way is Essex?
1: Well, I wouldn't associate with anyone like that. No, absolutely not.
0: No, but even so, yeah. do you? Because uh, I don't.
1: No, I don't, actually. No. And it's on when ITVB, pub, so I don't imagine anybody watches it, really.
0: What's ITVB?
1: ITVB. Right, so if you imagine... Imagine ITV... But someone looked at it and said, let's take all the common bits and put it on ITV2. And then someone looked at ITV2 and said, that's a bit upmarket. Let's take the quality out. <laughs> You're left with ITVB. Hmm. Right. Awful. Awful. And that's full of this God, sort it's... of thing. Yes. That's Christopher Timothy. They need it's been a horse. Yes. They need one of these around the face. Absolutely, yes. So, yeah, so ITVB is where these things live. I can't imagine anyone watches them, but some people must do. All right, if they like them, that's fine. <coughs> some well, people... They,
0: they, if they like them, but they don't. They don't watch them. I mean, one of the things I have always enjoyed doing army life is people watching, mm. right? now when i was a kid when you'd walk around on an evening yeah. you would not not in february obviously but you generally see people there'd be a couple of old girls with chairs on the front right mm-hmm. and they'd all be gabbing and chatting away about this and about that and putting the world to rights and i you know what i mean i was sort of at, at knee height to a surgical stocking but i used to enjoy just hearing the stuff and the old stories and that and for me it's all intertwined with you know, the scent of, of decaying blossom and, and mm. the dying of the sun and all that. I did say I was dramatic. Oh, yeah. um, so all of that has gone. Now, yeah. if I take the same walk down the street, all you will see is you'll pass houses and all you'll see is that sort of blue flicker in the corner, maybe with the only way is Essex on it. But if you look around the room, because I'm a nuzzy bastard, mm. if you look around the room, everyone's on an iPad or a phone. Yes. Nobody is watching it. Now, no. there was a, I think it's in um, New Scientist, the article. You can pull it up online. Uh, how the internet is rewiring our brain. And so the hippocampus is shrinking. Yes. And because of that, we're losing the ability to communicate. Mm. And so we use proxies such as phones and iPads okay. and this, that, and the other. Um, so when you say it is popular, no, it is on. No one's watching it. But by the same token, they're not talking to each other.
1: No. Is the hippocampus shrinking? Chicken and egg. I mean, is it shrinking because of modernity, or or is 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 it a natural thing, and modernity's complementing it? I mean, is this well, something well? The that's... theory
0: is because it's not being used, it right. atrophies. So so mm. one of the biggest offenders of this um, is Mm-hmm because the way the world works. So if you saw everything. Everything that there is in the world, if you saw everything, you'd need a head like one of them aliens in Mars Attacks, right? You'd need that many brain cells to absorb every uh, pixel of reality. So what your brain does is it makes choices, Mm. and it makes choices about what's important and what's not. And so in that way, you kind of, you map reality. We we map our own reality. How many times have you been looking for something and you can't see it and then it's right in front of you? Yeah, yeah, You know, the famous experiment is with the university students where they have one team playing basketball in black and one team playing uh, against them in white. And they say to the students, right, count the goals that the black team score mm. or whatever, nets, whatever you have in basketball. Mm. And they go, right, okay. So they get to the end of it and they go around the room and they're all proud, they're like, you know, 11, 11, 11, 11. You know, they're all, great, well done. Did you notice the gorilla? Mm. What gorilla? Right. In the middle of the match, a man comes on in a gorilla suit, stands in the middle of the pitch and beats his chest
1: mm. for
0: a minute. No, he doesn't. Everyone in the room, no, he doesn't. All right? You yep. play the tape back. Boof. There you go. And he's there for a substantial period of time. Why? Because the only thing your brain is doing is counting those goals. It is making choices about what aspects of reality you Consider important, and this is why. If you've got an ambition, it's very important to have an ambition so that you notice the clues in reality mm. that lead you to it. Otherwise, if you're going to try and if it's all fucking you know one, if it's all one big miasma, you will miss out on things. Mm. So then they say to the students, right, okay, now then, watch again, and it's like, right, okay, did you notice the gorilla this time? yep yeah, we all saw the gorilla. Right, okay, did you notice the color of the background change? What? Mm and they play it back and sure enough, it goes from red to bright yellow in the middle. Mm. So your brain is constantly making choices. So when you're not having to do things like navigate around an area you've never met, where your brain is in a high functioning state and the hippocampus is working overtime to say, right, okay, what's the pattern? What's this, where's that? You're actually, you've got an aim, you've got a goal, you've got something you need to get to. Therefore, your brain is filtering out everything but any clues which will get you to your destination, right? Now, if your brain doesn't need to perform those functions, then the, the, the um, portions of your brain that, that do that process in the hippocampus shrink. And that's why, you know, you'll ooh, kick the bucket. That's why when you say, and, and I don't mean to bring out young people, I'm not blaming young mm. people because it's not just young people. But if no. you say to them, you know, who was Oliver Cromwell? Do, 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 do. They'll read off the phone because they Googled it. Oliver Cromwell was this. Ask him again in a week's time. Mm. Oliver Cromwell was so because there's no retention of knowledge because it has no utility to them do you get me Mm. so unless you have if you unless you have a clearly defined objective uh, sorry a clearly defined reason for retaining knowledge you won't retain knowledge and if you don't retain knowledge then the uh, the elements the circuitry in your brain that is designed to do that Will obviously start to degrade. It's only a muscle, isn't it?
1: And if it's not mm-hmm. getting
0: its exercise,
1: I'm going to have to work on this. I think because about three quarters of the way through that, in my head, I'd created a sitcom about Leonard Rossiter keeping <laughs> a hippo on a, on a college campus.
0: Brilliant! That's brilliant.
1: Uh, yeah, I could I can see him now in his suit. He's the he's the um, principal of a college, but there's a hippopotamus running about. I'd watch that.
0: Now you say. That is the sort of thing that only an, a, a well-functioning brain can do. I think so.
1: <laughs> maybe.
0: Well, I, I'd, I'd, I'm more stoked for that than my uh, exploration of the nature of reality, and I'm sure the boys at girl, girls at home are the same.
1: I think I'd, I'd commission it immediately. It's a shame Rossiter's no longer around. We'd have to find a replacement.
0: Would you like the role, maybe? Well, I'm too round for Rossiter. I, I, I always uh, think that a good Rossiter would either mm. be Ralph Fiennes or Christopher Eccleston. But Eccleston's put a bit of beef on lately, hasn't he? He has
1: a bit, hasn't he? Have, I think we'd have to go with uh, with Mr. Fiennes there. Yeah. But he could probably do that. And Olivia could be all Coleman flustered.
0: taking over the Francis de Tour.
1: Definitely. That's yeah. the secretary. That's the college secretary. Constantly running in with a notebook about what is the hippo is Is she in love to.
0: with him and he's too bothered about the hippo? I'd say she is.
1: I, th- I think so, yeah. Yeah, and it's more to do with where this hippo is and nobody ever realises because they've got a massive lake in the campus and each at the end of each episode you just see its eyes above water yeah. level and it shrinks down and as its eyes go down the credits roll up out of the water halfway yes. up screen but by But when no Cindy one's Lottaby. around, the hippo yeah. speaks to him. Absolutely, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why he's so worried. Is he having a breakdown or is the hippopotamus really talking to Perfect. him? Perfect.
0: Right, all right, give me 26.
1: Okay, <laughs> could do that. That's easy enough. Oh, I'd yeah, watch Pippo's that all campus.
0: bloody day. That'd be wonderful. Yorkshire Television. Him in Patrick Cargill's fishing hat. I see him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the first episode, isn't it? The pilot episode. He's out there. He's on the lake. He's fishing, and then all of a sudden, the eyes just come up. They've got an underwater camera. For Maybe the first his episode. boat
0: lifts up on the back the... of the thing.
1: Oh, lovely! But you don't see why to begin with. Then it's down, and then you're just aware of him looking out, and the camera's there with the water level halfway on the screen as though eyes are watching him. Oh, lovely. Hippos campus. Yes. Lovely.
0: Hippos. Professor. Professor. It needs
1: to be something beginning with H. Um... Hemisphere. No. Uh, Are you going to go down the cerebral route with it? I'm going down the ITV 730 route with it to be honest with you. It's an on-the-buses slot, I'm thinking here. Um, I'd say
0: it's got to be something that's academic. Do you know what I Higgin, mean?
1: Higginbottom.
0: Higginbottom will do.
1: Higginbottom. But
0: spelt Botham. Them.
1: Both them, absolutely. Yeah. So you've so got you all the wordplay.
0: And you get that every week. Oh, Mr Higginbotham. it's
1: Bottom. Ooh, yeah. what is? <laughs> That's yeah. the stuff. That's the yeah. stuff,
0: yes. yeah. It writes itself.
1: It really does. It That's writes that.
0: itself. I yeah. want to watch this now. When's the box set out on network? Oh,
1: we need it, don't we? And the final episode is a prize-giving. Final episode of Series 1, prize-giving day and the hippos. I'm going to make it. Go on. I'm going to... So when he's alone, the hippo speaks to him. Mm. Right, okay, we've
0: mm. got that. But can anyone else see the hippo?
1: I think other people can see it... They're a big fucking.
0: Are... They're a big old thing, hippos. Oh, yeah. Have we discussed that hippos kill more humans than any other animal
1: on Earth? I think we mentioned that the other week, didn't we? But this yeah. is a benevolent hippo. Yeah, oh, I mean, no, it's it, an happy. It's, yeah, yes, it's a happy it, one. It, it steals picnics and lifts girls' skirts up and things, and that's, that's the problem. Yes, yeah. So, um, voiced yeah, it's by sort of... Michael Hardern? Absolutely. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Is it him or Lionel Jeffries? I don't know. Oh. Oh. I've got Jeffries in my head Jeffrey's for some now, reason. Jeffries now, yeah.
0: now is in there. Yes, all right. Lionel mm. Jeffries can be. Oh, what's the, the hippo called?
1: This is the thing, isn't it? Um, Edgar. Oh, I know. What about a composer? Now, did somebody didn't who didn't someone have a cat called Elgar in yes, something or Ed I, Reardon's week? That's it. Yes. Um, <sighs> Okay, we'd need we'd need a philosopher. A, need... Oh, their names are too long. No, Freud isn't. Oh, you don't want a Freudian hippo. That would be peculiar. Oh, I don't know. That could work. Really? Yeah. A hippo with ego. 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 And it is in fact representative of his id or ego. Exactly. As we discover, because he's actually having some sort of we we allude to the fact that he might he's be having a, having a breakdown. breakdown. But he isn't really. The hippo is real, as the, we reveal in about episode four. Yes, the hippo When Olivia sees him.
0: He believes it's a physical manifestation of his
1: midlife crisis. But in fact, episode four is where Olivia Coleman comes into the office for the first time and looks out the window, scream, what the hell's that? Camera goes out there, cuts 16mm film, hippo trotting around on the lawn. She can see can him Can you too. see him too? She can see him too. Yes. Oh. Right, well, that's. I don't think we can top that. I don't think so. Oh, any nice things this week? or Are you still? No,
0: I'm. I'm going to pay a gas man oh, to fix my I. pipes. How about I,
1: I, I got a nice thing, and and I would like to thank a Mr. James Corden for this. I know, right? So, regular listeners will recall last week I was most upset to realise that James Corden had uh, performed the voice of Peter Rabbit
0: for oh, uh, yes.
1: for a film, um, and I was so cross. Um, about James Corden, that I couldn't sleep. This was um, the day after we'd recorded. I was furious with Good. James Corden about four o'clock in the morning, and then I remembered something from when I was young, and I, I realized that the reason I, I was so angry with him was not just because he's James Corden, which is enough, but it's more than that. <laughs> it's the fact that he dared to do this this piece of work by Beatrix Potter. I A don't imagine how. Yes. Now, I don't imagine Corden's ever gone to her house. I've done that. I should have done the voice. But, um, nevertheless, I remembered when I was very young, uh, a record that I had, which was Tales of Beatrix Potter, read by uh, Wendy Craig. Now, it's a record that fascinated me in some ways, because on the front cover, you've got um, all of Beatrix Potter's characters, and in the middle, you've got Wendy Craig um, in a sort of a picture frame, reading a book, But it's a soft-focus picture, and Wendy Craig's sort of, like, in profile. And she didn't look like the lady off Nanny. So I was very confused by this. So you've got this soft-focus woman with a bob. So in my little brain, that's Beatrix Potter, and this is a photograph taken after she died. uh, Because one of my brother's older friends had told me that it was possible to record the voices of dead people. Or something so i was convinced that's what uh, that's what this was Is
0: this the guy whose cousin was michael jackson
1: oh uh, not ian k actually he's going back on the list um <laughs> haven't forgiven him um but no anyway so i got this record and as happens with vinyl i played it and i played it and of course eventually the quality started to drop and then one day my mother lied and my mum said i played it so much that i'd worn the record out and it had vanished i thought Bullshit. Don't believe that. Something's yeah. afoot here. Anyway, the bin men came round, as they often did. And, you know, proper big metal bins over the shoulder like that. And I saw them outside of our little house in, in off, off Penny Lane. There's the bloody record sticking out the top. And I chased the bin lorry from our house all the way to Penny Lane. Absolutely just infuriated and distraught. Um. Anyway... So, consequently, I find myself so angered by James Corden that I go on to Discogs, and there it is. Tales ah. of Beatrix Potter, complete with the haunted Wendy Craig in the middle. She looks quite oh, young, there. 19, when's this, 17 early 70s, that, eh? 71, I think. Yeah, 71. you can see. Yes, there we go. Uh, so, lovely stuff. It did lead me to, again, a little bit of confusion, because side one... Features the tale of Mr. Jeremy Fisher, the tale of Two Bad Mice, the tale of Squirrel Nutkin, and the tale of Jemima Puddle Duck. Side two, the tale of Pigling Bland. I was very confused, and I did spend some time weighing the books to try and work out what was afoot here. I didn't think maybe they've just cut some of the words out, but uh, I was convinced there was some skullduggery to do with ah. the speed of the record. But it wasn't that. So, um, so yeah, that that was my nice thing. But I also got this, which I must. Uh, uh, record and send to you. Perfectly normal seven inch single. Uh, on side A is Procol Harum's A Whiter Shade of Pale.
0: Yeah.
1: On side B, Noel Edmonds introduces record year. Now, what? what's yeah. the label? Well, it's an R- it's RCA. Right. So it's an established. Re- but then you look at R- the. R- um, yes. But then you uh, notice, first of all, it says not for sale. Ah, um, God, yeah. So it's a white and then label. The- And then the catalogue number um, Lever B. Oh, Lever Lever B, B. Noel. Lever B. Well, yes. Made by um, Lever, who used to make all the soap powders. Oh, I see. Still do. So Um, it's a promo. It is. You could, If you saved up little tokens off the back of your Lever product, you could send off and you got ah, this record. I got yeah, got you, got you. And what you got was you got a wall chart, basically a calendar for the year, and you got this record. Um, and It's basically for the wall chart, which is so you could note down important days, which Noel spends a great deal of time listing. He says, you could note down birthdays or Christmas or St. <laughs> Valentine's Day. Or Nansper. And he's just listing things to kill time. Um, and it's followed by a, a song called The Day They Remembered, which is the worst piece of sub abba crap I've ever heard in my life. Um, so that's my other nice thing. That was stolen off me by someone at Playgroup when I was four. Oh, you've
0: got yourself one.
1: Yes, I, I've got it now. So,
0: okay. let's. let's someone stole the, that. Let's look at the scores. Yes. So, Wendy Craig cost...
1: Uh, Wendy Craig cost uh, £5.99. Five ninety nine, and
0: how much did Procol Edmonds cost?
1: Seven pounds fifty.
0: Oh dear! I know that's very expensive. Was it worth worth it?
1: Well, it's crap. But you now have it. But I have it, you and have I've it. heard it for the first time since 1980 this morning. And I, oh, that's it's so nice. I'm going to I'm going to rip it from the from the record, including right at the very end as this dreadful subabba song fades out, and then the record sticks. So unfortunately, it's never ending. It's like a frigging Beckett play. Um, right. I shall I shall rip that and I shall pop that onto the Twitter feed, and you too can list, hear Noel Edmonds listing days. It's very odd. Absolutely before. wonderful. Well, I think on that joyful note. I think so. Uh, we should say a
0: sub ABBA goodbye to mm. our friends at home. Have you been watching and listening? Thank you for persevering this far. If you've, if you've listened this far, good on you. Yeah. Um, and have a lovely week. And until the next time, bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>